Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie. Lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. This week's edition of the Sports Rivals. A lot of match, uh, March Madness talk as we're down to the final four. I tell you what, gang, this has got to be one of the best weeks of the year so far for, for Ernie. His Tar Heels are in the final <laughs> four. His Celtics are now the number one seed in the East. We're going to hit both of those subjects as well as more NFL talk. Another crazy week highlighted by the Tyree Kill trade this week from the Kansas City Chiefs. But Ernie, let's start with March Madness. Mm-hmm. Give me your thoughts specifically on your Tar Heels. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I had mixed emotion. I mean, I, I had UCLA as my eventual uh, champion in this bracket, you know, I, I mean, but there is no way that I was not cheering for the Tar Heels in that game. I mean, talk about coming together at the very last minute at the 11th hour. That's basically what the Tar Heels did. I mean, they took UCLA out of their game. Uh, Ju Zhang was off and on. Uh, I, you know, that leadership quality that I saw from, uh, you know, Tiger Campbell kind of dissipated in the second half. And boy, Caleb Love. I'll say it again. Caleb Love came to play. What an amazing game by him. It was an amazing second half. I mean, he hit the two big shots at the end. There was one point there because I was cheering for, for even if I had UCLA in the Final Four, and ordinarily I'd be cheering for UCLA, I was cheering for North Carolina for your sake. Um, and he was just jacking them up towards the end. Now, he hit the two big ones to win it. But, man, what an impressive... And I like North Carolina. I've been telling you this for a couple of months now, mm-hmm. how they've been playing really well. I'm not sure what happened to them in the Virginia Tech game in the ACC, but that's the one blip in about eight weeks of amazing play by the by the North Carolina Tar Heels. So my concern with North Carolina has been their depth. And we'll get through all the other all the other brackets, but right now, all of the teams that are left really have shallow rotations. Mm-hmm. So it's not gonna be as much of a detriment unless there's foul trouble. So North Carolina, big win over UCLA, coming back after knocking off Baylor, Mm -hmm. almost blowing that 25-point lead. Um, Manic did not shoot the ball well against against UCLA. He came out uh, not shooting the ball well. Caleb Love really did save them in the second half. Manic was back to shooting the ball lights out today. Um, As much as I think everyone is cheering for the Cinderella and St. Peter's, from an objective standpoint, if you're not a North Carolina fan, you, it didn't take long before you're like, oh, I wish Purdue won <laughs> the other night. Because it was just a complete, I don't want to say mismatch, but I'm not sure if the moment was a little bit too big for St. Peter's because they missed layups, they missed wide open alley-oops, they missed, it, it, it was just not a good day for St. Peter's. The game was never in doubt from the tip. you know. So North Carolina controlled that. But um, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about the saddest basketball day of the year for me, which was Thursday, <laughs> where within five minutes, both Gonzaga and Michigan went down. Uh, and then at the same time, Duke was off to a 10-0, you know, uh, losing right. to Texas Tech. Right. And I thought, this can't get any worse. Fortunately, at least Duke came back and won that game. But um, Gonzaga, the guards just didn't show up. I mean, Timmy didn't get enough help. 
Um, Nebhardt went one for nine when it really mattered. He right. hit the prayer at the end. Right. Bolton hit two threes early, and then he couldn't do anything. Uh, Strother didn't do anything between the three of them. I believe they were like nine for 33. Uh, Timmy still had his 25 points, and Holmgren um, got into foul trouble in the first half, played really well in the second half right. while he was out there. Some questionable calls. I believe three of his five fouls were not fouls. Mm -hmm. Took him out of the game. Um, but the bottom line is, did that hurt Gonzaga? Yes, it did. But the bottom line is, Gonzaga did not shoot the ball well enough. Um, and thus, they went home uh, really early, much earlier than they expected. Yeah, I, I was going to text you during that game. But, you know, after Michigan lost, I figured... I better not already give me a slap just like uh, <laughs> just just like what happened in the Oscars thing. <laughs> you know, I didn't even the games were on at the same time and so I really was not paying attention too much to the Michigan game because I, I really thought that they would have a hard time with Villanova and they did. Um, but the Gonzaga one I, I was surprised with. They were up twenty seven to nineteen and then they went on Arkansas went on that thirteen to two run to go up at halftime and then they just could not respond. They could not hit shots. And when you don't hit shots, um, that seems to be what has happened. Nephart has had a really good year, mm -hmm. but the games that he played bad, which is the Duke game earlier in the year, the Alabama game earlier in the year, and then in this game, um, they lose. Yeah. You know, because Timmy's just not enough to carry the team against a well-rounded team. Yeah. You need to hit shots. I agree. I agree. And that's why I really wanted, boy, I, I agree with you in regards to those calls against Holmgren. And he really came out in the second half First half, he was in foul trouble, didn't really produce much. I don't even think he had a point. But the second half, he was on fire. And I think they had a chance because Note in that game was, he was the black hole. Whatever he had, he shot and he wasn't shooting particularly well in that game. I think it was their, the, their defense and the turnovers that Gonzaga had. But if Holmgren stayed in that game, that would have been very interesting. I mean, it, I mean it, it's going to come back again. I hate to say it, two, two of the questionable calls by the referee. Uh, and again, uh, Note had a little bit better game today, but we saw, you know, what, what uh, how Duke exploited, you know, that inefficiency as far as offense is concerned. And yeah, we'll just see. We'll just see what, uh, you know, how, how it comes out. But yeah, Gonzaga, in my opinion, Blew an opportunity there where I think that they, they had a, they had a chance. I'm not sure if Holmgren could have had a, you know, a, maybe a more aggressive, uh, what you call it, start in the beginning of the of the game, and then if the referee calls over there in the second half, changed it a little bit. Who knows? It may have been a lot closer game. Yeah, I mean, I believe if he stays in because he was playing really well, and you essentially took him out of the game the last ten minutes. I believe. Gonzaga would have had a better chance because they were starting to take control down low. Right. Whether it be him with his 11 points in the second half before following out or Timmy getting to his 25 points, they were controlling it down low. I completely agree with Note. I mean, I thought that Arkansas won that game despite his play. I know he ended up with 21 points, but the guy went 9 for 29. He was 2 for 12 yeah. from 3. Yeah. He was handling the ball. He was jacking balls up. Um, it took Gonzaga shooting 38% from the field, exactly. you know, for, for Arkansas to win. So although he was getting credited with just being fearless and, and being a, a shooter, um, I felt like his play almost cost Arkansas because exactly. most of the other players were efficient. Jalen exactly. Williams was efficient. Williams played a perfect um, game. Wade hit three three-pointers, you know, Umore hit some shots. 
Um, but at the end of the day, Arkansas hard-nosed, scrappy, physical defenses give Gonzaga trouble. Gonzaga guards could not meet the task there. Gonzaga goes out. Now we have to see who stays, who goes, and we go from there. Then in the second game, I thought that game was just an unbelievable game. Texas Tech jumps out early. Duke comes back. Down the stretch, that's how you close out a game. Duke did not miss a shot in the last eight minutes of the game. They went eight for eight from the field, and then they, they hit all of their free throws. Clutch shot after clutch shot answered by Texas Tech almost all the way down to the end. Uh, and Coach K advanced from against Texas Tech and then the game against Arkansas Duke pretty much controlled that game yeah. I mean it was game would get close at certain times but for the most part I thought Duke was never really in trouble uh, Arkansas used up all their blanks uh, against Gonzaga yeah. so Duke advances Coach K's 13th Final Four record. tying the the great John Wooden for the most the record for the most ever yep. um, Wooden just wins it almost every time that he was there kind of like your Bill Russell um, so that's what happened in the West. Let's go to Houston and Villanova. Houston knocks off Arizona on Thursday night in mm -hmm. a game that they pretty much controlled for the entire the, the entire time. Villanova already talked about uh, knocking off my Michigan Wolverines pretty handily. But that game, Ernie, on Saturday, Houston against Villanova was almost unwatchable. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure how much you watched that game, but it was almost unwatchable. Now, I get that defense was, they were playing hard, no scrappy defense, but it was almost first to 50 wins. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially what happened. Yeah. Villanova shoots less than 40%. Houston shoots less than 30%, going one for 20 from three-point range. You're not going to beat a good team shooting like that exactly and i thought you know for villanova i thought gillespie was rushing a lot of his shots when he i mean he definitely had the time on on top of that game yes houston has has that terrific defense but you know like you said they weren't putting up uh the points i thought villanova played excellent defense i thought houston played average defense uh, but their average defense is great but still i believe the offenses a little bit too much and I think that contributed to that low scoring game. No, I, I agree I mean Edwards Houston depends on Edwards to score he was a, you know he had an abysmal Nebhard like night for Houston mm -hmm. I believe he was something like one for ten uh, from the field they were counting on him and then they were going one-on-one -on -one, and it's just kind of throwing things at the backboard um, it was a rough watch unless you have a desire and a love and passion for hard-nosed defense yeah um, because it was it was like i said for lack of a better word it was hard fought scrappy a lot of effort they left everything on the line but it was not cosmetically <laughs> it, it wasn't i mean it, it the potential in the paint points as far as attempts were there but boy talk about low efficiency when when you're in there, I mean, I, I mean, the refs did let it go. It almost looked like a 1990s uh, NBA game, you know, where when, you know, everything went, you know. Uh, but they were consistent in this game. I don't think there were, were very many controversial calls in this game, uh, you know, so... You know, and Villanova goes 15 for 15 from the line. Exactly, exactly. I mean, they tried to fall at the end, and that's what, uh, you know... Kept them ahead, so hats off to Villanova. You're talking about a team that shoots the ball uh, from the line 82% as a team. Now, the hard part about Villanova, because Villanova gang is fighting for their third national championship in the last six tournaments in the last seven years. 
because 2020 there was no tournament so they're no joke um but you but know they lost they lost more with 35 seconds left he tore his achilles and that's gonna be a big that's gonna loss be big. for them that's gonna be big i mean you saw it at first i thought he slipped but then when you saw it on slow motion and you knew i mean that that had had kevin durant flashbacks in my mind when he played with golden state and he knew you yeah. could tell by his reaction yeah. and the reaction of the team that he knew that something serious had happened but that is a major loss for a team that's not essentially that deep and now they're going to face the kansas jayhawks who at halftime today, they're down six to Miami, but man, did they put it together in the second half. 47-15 in the second half. They go from a six-point deficit to a 26-point victory uh, over the Miami Hurricanes, who overachieved as a 10 seed, making mm -hmm. it to the Elite Eight. Mm -hmm. um, so for all the talk, gang, of parity in basketball, of anything can happen, Ernie and I was like, this could be the year that some mid-major wins the national championship. We're left now with four blue bloods. You have North Carolina and Duke. Granted, North Carolina is an eight seed this year. So if they win the national championship, they would tie Villanova for the lowest seeded team to ever win the national championship. But they're still one of the historical names in basketball, along with Duke, along with Kansas. And then you have Villanova, who we're talking about trying to win their third national championship in the last seven years. And you know what? I'll give you a stat. If North Carolina wins this year, it'll also be, no, it'll be their second. They went to, I'm sorry, this is their third Final four in the last seven years, but they lost one. So you're yeah, right. They lost one to Villanova. Exactly. I mean, they, exactly. they lost one to Villanova, and we could be looking at a rematch there. Although right now, Ernie, if I had to, if I had to take a look at these matchups, and why don't we spend a little bit of time breaking it down? I would think with Moore's injury, I would have to make Kansas the slight favorite in this game. You never want to rule out Villanova. They can yuck up the game, and they can be physical with you. But I think Kansas has enough assets and enough depth. Uh, and enough balance that I would expect Kansas to probably be a, a three-point favorite, especially with Moore's injury. So I would lean towards Kansas in the first semifinal. Yeah, I would actually give them more than three. I'm not really sure. I haven't checked the lines, but uh, you know the way Kansas played in that second, you know, in that second half, in dominating fashion, boy, they look like the team. They look like the team to beat. I mean, clicking on all cylinders. Those alley hoops at the end. I mean, really. Uh, taking the life, uh, the life out, you know, uh, no chance of a comeback on on uh, Miami's part towards the ending of that Kansas team. No, they just walloped them from the beginning of the second half. So here's what we're looking at: Kansas is an early four-point favorite over Villanova, and in the other semifinal, Duke is a four-and-a-half-point favorite over North Carolina. So I think we both agree here. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for Villanova, but you never put it past Jay Wright. The guy can flat-out coach. When it gets down to this point in time, mm -hmm. they can flat out coach. Every time he's gotten to the Final Four, they win the national championship. It's going to be tough, though, when you lose your, your point guard, um, you know, the orchestrator of a lot of what they do. Gillespie's the All-American, but Moore is so important to that team. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we both need Kansas. In the other one, I, you know, I'm sure you're going to go North Carolina. It's going to be North Carolina, folks. <laughs> I'll just give you a this is how North Carolina North Carolina I think follows the Gonzaga template when Gonzaga was now Gonzaga is getting those high recruits 
in the last 20 years, um, they're, they're not getting high, their draft class, I think, I believe I saw a stat that in the last 20 years, the highest draft class, the, their best draft class in the last 20 years has been 19th, which means that the people who are left on Carolina, they're not one and done usually. They stay. The last time they won the national championship, they had two seniors, a junior, and you know, this year is the same thing. You got Manic, who's a senior. You got Baycott, who's a junior. You got Love and Smith, who are sophomores. Uh, that, to me, that that unity and that continuity over so many years helps you in these types of situations. Gonzaga did that when they were going into Final Fours out of nowhere, you know. And that's how North Carolina has been to, like I said, three Final Fours in the last seven years. Mm -hmm. And when if you go back actually to... Uh, you know, 2009, I mean, they haven't really had those, uh, you know, marquee individuals. Their, their, their highest draft pick in the last 20 years has, you know, I'm not even sure. I don't know if it's Kobe White. I think he was a top 10 pick right after, you know, and he stayed one year. Boy, if we had Daron Sharp, I mean, that would, that would have been, you know, last, last year's uh, freshman who, who I believe was picked up by the Nets. I'm not really sure. If, if, if they had him back, they would have definitely have been... Uh, and Walker Kessler. Oh, yeah. Walker Kessler transferred. Yeah. Uh, good for Walker Kessler. <laughs> but I believe that that's the formula. You know, if you're not going to get the top recruits, have those guys stay. And to me, De'Ron Sharp should have stayed because he was picked late. Yeah, he was picked late. He could have improved his draft stock, probably been a mid round, uh, mid round in the first, and he would have he would have done well. But the formula is there, and that's why I believe, like the Villanovas, they probably they have. A, I mean, Gillespie yeah, is well, a senior. Well, Vill Villanova's loaded with uh, experience. Kansas is loaded with experience mm -hmm. um, up and down the lineup. So you're right. I mean, all three teams other than Duke have a tremendous amount of experience. Duke has Roach playing the best ball of the year. He's a sophomore. And, uh, and Williams is a sophomore, but then you have the other three freshmen, right. you know, Griffin, uh, Banchero, and Keels as freshmen. Um, it's going to be a, a, an amazing game. I mean, earlier on in the year, Duke went to North Carolina and just destroyed North Carolina. North Carolina came back in Co Coach K's last, last game, game. Uh, and Duke could not live up to the moment. And I thought North Carolina played there. I still believe that was North Carolina's best, best game, game of was. the year. It was. Um, this is going to be unbelievable. For the first time ever, Duke, North Carolina in an NCAA tournament with Coach K's last game on the line. Um, I'm going to go Duke here. I'm go uh, I mean, I would not surprise yeah. me if North Carolina wins. Yeah. I, I've, been, I've been saying things all along. Here's my concern um, with North Carolina. I, one, I think Duke is playing really well. Caleb Love scares me. He won the UCLA game late, but he has a lot of note in him. And today, luckily he wasn't needed. He had some layups early, but he was two for 12 from three. He was five for 17 or something from the field when all was said and done. Um, he worries me. If he comes out hot, North Carolina is gonna win. If he takes bad shots, and he's the only one on that team that takes bad shots. Baycock, everything that Baycock gets, sometimes he earns. 22 rebounds today. He dominates the rebounds. But Mark Williams historically gives him some trouble. I mean, Mark Williams is the defensive player of the year. So he's going to kind of neutralize Baycock. 
If Caleb Love is the UCLA Caleb Love, North Carolina will probably win this game. If he's not, North Carolina is going to need somebody else. And that game in Duke in Coach K's last day, it was J.D. Davis that had the best game of his life that day mm-hmm. that really helped win that game for North Carolina. Manic is shooting the ball lights out. Yeah. He shot well. So it's going to have to take somebody else. You know, either if Davis is going to go for 30 like he did against Baylor and, and Manic's going to go for 25, then no matter what Love does, I think they'll be okay. But Love is the is the... He's the X factor. I mean, he can shoot him in and shoot him out of games. Yeah, I, I think when you match up Duke with North Carolina, you gotta throw out all the statistics. I mean, this is this is the rivalry upon rivalry. This is blue against blue. I mean, this is this goes this go this is Dean's this is the the ghost of Dean Smith, Roy Williams, who's still alive versus. Shishester. You know what? I would think, Ernie. I would think that in modern basketball, you know, because. Back in when Bird and Magic went against each other in the most watched NCAA game in history, we were still with like seven channels to to choose from. In today's modern world with so many options, I think the semifinal game Duke North Carolina is going to be the most watched NCAA game in the last 10 to 15 years. I I, I wouldn't doubt. Because it's the biggest basketball rivalry in every game now is Coach K's last possible game. I think it's going to do gangbusters at the box office on Saturday. Exactly, and that is that is that that is basically leading to my to to my hopeful projection that we already saw it that the Duke freshmen couldn't live up to their expectations on Coach Krzyzewski's last game. This is the final four, and I think the maturity factor in this game is cited by North Carolina. Yep. I really. I really think that that's going to happen. I, I, I mean, I, I, not that I hated Coach K, uh, but he's from Duke, you know. He, I mean, I, I mean, I don't like anything about. If you're a North Carolina guy, you don't like anything about Duke. I totally respect the guy this year. So if, if, if they win, which I hope they don't, you know, I, you know, I'll at least be somewhat happy for. For Coach K, after I sob for for half an hour, you know. And <laughs> well, I tell you what, no matter who wins this game, I'm going to be for Duke. You're going to be for North Carolina. It's a it's anyone's game, but whoever wins this game, I'm going to be rooting for on Monday to win the national championship. So either Coach K will go out as a winner, or Ernie will be really really happy. So either way, that's a positive, right, for the sports rivals. <laughs> But gang, what a, I mean, March Madness is just amazing. It was a disappointing week for me with the Gonzaga Bulldogs going out early. I didn't have high expectations for Michigan. It was a surprise that they even made yeah, it to the Sweet yeah. 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duke has turned it around. They're in the Final Four. I knew that it would only be Duke or Gonzaga anyway at this point, so one of them is still there. Um, but there's nothing like March Madness. I mean, the earlier rounds, everything was close. I thought this week was a little bit disappointing. I thought the Texas Tech Duke game was really, really good. Um, I thought the UCLA North Carolina game was really, really good, but not a, a lot of really good games the rest of the weekend. And I thought the Elite Eight was pretty weak. I thought the North Carolina St. Peter's one was an utter disaster. Um, Kansas won by 26. Duke really controlled that game pretty easily right. uh, as well. Um, and then the Villanova-Houston game we already talked about as being unwatchable, in my opinion. So it wasn't the greatest weekend of basketball, 
but it is March Madness and we are now with four teams left. Three of them are three of the top four winningest programs in the history of college basketball. And then there's Villanova looking for their third championship. So one of these blue bloods are going to be cutting down the nets on Monday the 4th. I hope so. I hope. And I hope it's from Chapel Hill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. Let's change our focus uh, to the NBA. And again, this week for Ernie has continued to get better and better. We've been talking about the Celtics playing well and slowly moving up. And it's been really ever since they got rid of Schroeder, mm -hmm. that they've been on a meteoric rise that culminates today with Phoenix's victory over the Sixers. The Celtics are currently the number one seed in the East, Ernie. Whoa, my goodness. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I think that, I mean, everybody talks about the Celtics' defense. A byproduct of that defense is their offense. In March, they hold a 130 130, number one on the NBA. They lapped the field in March as far as offensive rating. So that's how they're winning all these games. I mean, they're, they're, they're using their defense to create offense, and they're just blowing everybody out. I mean, and, and, and you know what? It, it's, 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 not even, it's not even funny. I mean, they, they played Utah when Utah won eight out of two, and they killed Utah. You know, they played a, a, a surging Denver team that was on a four-game winning streak, and they killed Denver at home, you know, and, and, and now you have uh, Minnesota who came out today, and uh, I hate to say it, Katshida closed his mouth when he guaranteed the victory today because they are coming off of uh, an 8-2 and two run. Yeah, they're playing amazing they're ball, playing. but man, they're getting chippy. That Patrick Beverly mouth has really yeah. resonated with the rest of the team. Now it's working. Yeah. They are winning, but man, they're talking a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, and, and, and it backfired on them today, man. And it, it was like the first quarter was, okay, they, there was life there, but after that, it wasn't even funny. I mean, when you when they the Celtics committed seven turnovers in the first in, in the in the first quarter and they were still leading by six. I mean, and and I've I've watched every game. They did not have their A game today. They did not have their A game today. Game today, and they still won by twenty. Yeah, I mean they're playing amazing ball. Uh, Jason Tatum has really rounded into form. He's now in the official Kia MVP watch list in the top five now. He's entered the top five for the mm -hmm. MVP, um, as he should. He's up to 27 points a game. He's clearly finally healthy. Whatever was bothering him, lingering effects of COVID, fatigue over the summer from the U.S. Olympic team, whatever it was, he has turned it around, and he's been efficient. He's volume scoring, but he's also been efficient, and so is Jalen Brown. Oh, They're yeah. both playing at a top-notch level right now. But you did mention to me before we started recording that you have a little bit of concern that their best defensive player went down today. Yeah, Robert Williams went out of the game. I, I mean, I didn't see where it happened, but he came up, he, he had tendinopathy earlier in the season. I think it's flaring up again. The last time he was out, he was out for about a week or two. Uh, I, I, I think they're going to be without him for this, you know, this three-game stretch in which they play Toronto tomorrow. I believe they play Miami on Wednesday, which is going to be an important game, and they they play the Indiana uh, Indiana Pacers on Friday. So I, I don't I don't expect him to be there. I, uh, Al Horford is taking care of personal personal matters, so you know this this might be a short lived num uh, number one seeding at this point in time, and we'll see how those injuries actually play out. I know that 
Tatum and Brown both were listed as questionable today because uh, you know they're going through some some ailments. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if Imi Adoka basically just gives away tomorrow's game and just rests them up for the next two games after that, or or how he plans to you know work his way out. But yeah, not. It's, it's good what they're doing, but boy, injuries are catching up. And one injury on this, on, on this team will make a difference, especially if it's on that starting five core. Well, I mean, they're, they're on a roll. I mean, they're on a six-game winning streak. They've won nine out of their last ten. It probably even better than that if you, you uh, extrapolate the numbers out. Boston at 47-28, and 28, tied with the Miami Heat, who have fallen on tough times. Four-game losing streak, fighting amongst themselves. Three straight losses at home mm -hmm. and none of them really close against a shorthanded um golden state team they lost to the knicks you know it's uh miami's fallen on hard times now philadelphia had a tough road trip they lost today to phoenix they're right there half a game back milwaukee's a half a game back so you still have from one to four there's a half a game difference yeah. so, you know and although there's two weeks left anything can happen between one through four now from five through eight Anything can happen as well. Mm -hmm. Kyrie, New York lifts the mandate. Kyrie can play all the remaining games. I expected his first game back today at Brooklyn to really lay a, you know, create a spark and they would blow out Charlotte. It didn't happen. Didn't Charlotte happen. goes into Brooklyn, knocks off. Kyrie was six for 22 from the field. Did not have a good game. Um, so Brooklyn is still sitting in the ninth spot tied with Charlotte, you know, after today's win, but Charlotte won the, the year series. So that's why they're listed ahead right now in the eighth spot. So, um, what's weird is I still would not want to play Brooklyn in the first round. Oh no. You don't want to play Brooklyn in the first round. I don't think you're afraid of anyone else. The Bulls have fallen on tough times. They're slowly dropping. Cleveland's slowly dropping. I don't think you're really worried about them. I don't think you're really worried about Toronto, but you don't want to be left playing Brooklyn in round one. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be the, they'll probably be the most dangerous number seven or number eight seed in, in most recent history in the NBA. I mean, when you're talking about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, uh, that's, that's formal because if both of them are on their A game, you're going to have to fight. But I don't think for any longevity, I don't even I don't see how Vegas puts them as as still one of the as as the the most the likely the yeah favorites yeah. to win the NBA championship. Well, I think they just assume when you have you know the best player in the world, which Kevin Durant has been called, and and he probably deservedly so, and you have Kyrie able to play now, they're attractive to betters. Yeah, I believe though right now that their defense is not good enough to win the championship. Um, they're going to score, you mm -hmm. know, with Kyrie and Durant and Seth and uh, Seth Curry. They're, they're going to score, but I don't believe that they're going to be able to stop people. And I think when they get into a grind-out affair with, say, a Miami or Milwaukee that can clamp you down. Uh, and Brock Lopez came back, you know, this week. So mm -hmm. hopefully he'll get his legs before. I think they're going to have a tough time with those teams. I think Milwaukee, especially Milwaukee, because I'm not sure what's going on in Miami. I think Milwaukee, to me... Um, would be very, very hard for Brooklyn. And then the way the Celtics are playing, it looks like they can really beat anyone at this point in time. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree on top of that. I mean, I would be worried. If I was an Espen, I would be worried, actually, you, you better try to get to that sixth seed because you don't want to be in that playing game where, you know, one game, one, uh, two, let's call it two off nights can basically eliminate you. Yeah. Because if, if you're in that seventh or eighth position 
and one of those guys, Kyrie or Durant, have an off night. That's basically one superstar. And we've, we've, we've seen what happens when there's only one of them there. They are uh, an average team. They're, uh, how great Durant and Kyrie are. They are an average team when, when one of them isn't playing well. Look what happened tonight. Kyrie plays uh, like a normal NBA player, all left on Durant's shoulders, and they fall to the Charlotte Hornets, who take over the number eight spot. Yeah, with only, what are they at? They have seven games left, and they are currently three and a half games behind Toronto. And they would have to leap the Hornets and the Cavs. I don't think they can get there. I mean, I don't think that they, I don't think there's enough time, and there's too many teams for them to have to pass. They'd have to pass three teams to get into that sixth spot. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, they may get to seven and get the home game uh, versus, you know, staying there at nine or ten. But I think they're going to be stuck in the play-in game. Yeah, I, I, I'd be worried if I was a Nets fan because, like I said, both Kyrie and Durant are going to have to both be on that game. I don't think their supporting cast can help them, especially in a playoff situation where everybody... You know what? The teams that don't play defense, they will play defense in the playoffs, especially when it comes down to this one-and-done or if you're in the seventh or eighth spot right now, two-and-done. Yeah, and right now, the way it is, it's nine versus ten, right? So Brooklyn would have to play the Hawks, and we saw what the Hawks are capable of doing last year, getting all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. We know the moment's not going to be too big for Trey Young, you know, so anything that can happen. But congratulations, Ernie. Your Celtics are number one right now. Um, The team that's not number one right now, my Los Angeles Lakers, (laughs) (laughs) who are barely hanging on. To the 10th position. They are now in the 10th position after blowing a 20-point lead today. It's 69-49 at halftime, and they find a way to lose to the Pelicans. Oh, my goodness. So the Pelicans take over the number 9 position, and now San Antonio won three in a row. They're only a game behind the Lakers. It is very realistic that the Lakers are not going to make the play, not even the play-in game this year. And I have a little bit more about LeBron in my closing thought, but... Um, the Lakers are just an utter disaster. They're now 31 and 43. This has got to be the worst Laker team that I can remember. Even when we're with all the young guys, we weren't 31 and 43. Well, I'll give you this. Definitely the most disappointing. Oh, yeah. This is easily the most in, disappointing in, team in, in my in lifetime. With four top 75 players all time. Uh, now, granted, Anthony Davis has played for about a minute and a half since January with his multitude of injuries. But even without him, LeBron's averaging 30 points a game, leading the league. He's having his most efficient season in five years. And they're still losing every game. They're still finding ways to lose every game. Frank Vogel has completely lost this team. There, There's no defense. He's gone. They're, yeah, he's definitely he's gone. gone. I hear Quinn Snyder from the Utah Jazz is the, is the target um, to come to L.A. next year. That's already been announced. Uh, whether that comes to fruition or not, I'm not sure. But since that has come out, that I believe it was like Monday of this week or Sunday last weekend, Utah's lost four in a row. <laughs> you know, so it could be that word's getting out that if the coach is on his way out, you start losing your team and bad things can happen there. But in the West, Phoenix has already clinched the top seed yeah. in all of basketball. I thought they would mail it in and start resting some people, but nope, they have everybody playing to get today against the Sixers. And Devin Booker is making a late run for the MVP yeah. because what they're doing at 61 and 14, and he played six to seven weeks without 
or six weeks without Chris Paul until he came back. He carried them. And he is putting up astronomical numbers, but 61 and 14 is just remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, a very well coached team. You know, they have the right role players around them. You know, and and it it and it it it, it just seems that it, it's their turn right now. I, I think you know what when you get to the finals and you lose it in the fashion that they did, it really sticks with you. I I, I bet you I bet you they recall back to last year's championship and you know relive the moments. And if I did this, if I did that, could we have won it? I mean, they're really fighting. They they, they taste it right now. I would agree. I mean, I, I think you know barring an injury. Uh, I think that they look like they're the favorites. Now, in terms of MVP, I've, I've been a big John Moran fan for a lot of this year, having him in my top five. Now, he's been injured, and he may be out until the playoffs because mm-hmm. there's problems with his knee. So I think he drops out of the MVP conversation. But these Memphis Grizzlies are now they're on a four-game winning streak. They've won eight out of ten, and they've won – They've gone seventeen and two. Yeah, without without John Moran. Yeah. So how can John? They have a better winning percentage without John Moran. Yeah, and they're beating <laughs> some good teams right now. So their coach has got to be the NBA Coach of the Year. It ha- and it shouldn't even be close. They are fifty-two and twenty-three. They're four games clear of Golden State for the number two seed. So they look to be locked in at the number two seed. I, I just have so much admiration for what Memphis is doing. Because without John Moran, they're still winning. And they have good players, but to have this kind of success, mm-hmm. that's coaching. That's coaching, yeah. that's chemistry, that's effort. They're doing everything right. Um, remarkable Memphis Grizzlies this yeah, year. Yeah, They're everything the Lakers are not. Yeah, I, I, I still think your namesake, Monty Williams, will be, be coach of the year. I mean, you know, just basically what he's done, you know, uh, without Chris Paul. You know and whatnot, fourteen losses uh, in this NBA season. I mean, that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty hard to overcome. I don't know. I still think the Grizzlies coach will be will be there. Golden State. You know, Steph Curry. We still don't know whether or not he's gonna play. All I know is he's at all the games at the NCAA, the West Region, <laughs> while his team's on the East Coast playing. He's there watching the NCAA basketball. The Mavericks has gotten a little bit hotter. Uh, Utah, as we just elaborated, they're struggling. They're now down to five. The Nuggets have been playing. You know, decent ball. Minnesota, we talked about until right. they got shellacked today, have been playing well. They're at seven. The Clippers have lost five in a row. And then, of course, you have the Pelicans and the brutal Lakers there at nine and ten. So I think in the West, um, it really looks clear to me Phoenix's conference to lose. If yeah. they were to not get to the finals, I would be surprised at this point. Yeah, I, I would give them a better than 50% chance to represent the West. I mean, you got... I mean, you got Golden State over there with Curry. You know, hopefully he he comes back one hundred percent for the playoffs. Uh, they're they're going to give them a test, and and I'm going to harken back to like maybe I, I believe this was two or three three weeks ago on a podcast. Uh, Dallas is going to be tough. Dallas is going to be tough. I mean, Lucas Lucas playing out of his mind right now with their defense. They've been playing excellent defense. You know, in the same fashion as the Boston Celtics. I think, you know, I, I give them a better chance, and I hate to say this because I love what Memphis has done. I think I give them a better chance than Memphis to actually, uh, you know, get to the conference finals. Well, right now they're the fourth seed, so they would play Phoenix in the semis, you know, so they wouldn't have a... They would have to beat Phoenix to get to the finals. Yeah, that would be tough. But you know what? They are only... 
Uh, they're still two games behind Golden State, but without Curry, I mean, never know. Maybe Dallas can catch them and get to the three spot. Um, that would be fun. You know, John Moran comes back, a Luka John Moran uh, playoff series would. Would, be, would be fun. So um, NBA, to me, it looks like the Phoenix in the West. The East is, is always has been all year long, I'll, a crapshoot. And now there's four teams within a half a game there. Your team is at the number one spot. I don't think a month ago we would have thought that they would get to number one. No, I, they I, were marching up from eight to seven to six to five to four, all the way to one. Uh, since last week. So congratulations to the Boston Celtics. Um, they're doing amazing. Yeah, they're doing amazing. Tell you, Just Dennis the Menace, you get rid of Dennis the Menace and everything gets better. <laughs> <laughs> chemistry matters. Chemistry, chemistry matters. Chemistry does matter. I think that was addition by subtraction because now Peyton Pritchard uh, is taking the... And he's playing well. And he's, he's playing well. He's not only playing well offensively, he's, he's become a pretty... Good defender. That guy's a hound dog. He's he he is he is a pest. He is a pest. Yep. So curious to see how things end, but at least you know that your team is going to be in the playoffs. Uh, my team. We don't even have a lottery pick to look forward to because all we've traded everything till 2027. But anyway, let's switch to the NFL again. You know, just when you think all the big plays are done. Bam, this week, Tyreek Hill gets traded Crazy. from the Kansas City Crazy. Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins. We knew that Miami had a couple of things. Tremendous amount of cap space, tremendous amount of draft capital. They use both of them. Extending Tyreek Hill, giving him four years and $120 million. We now have wide receivers making $30 million a year, which to me is ludicrous. It, it, it is. I mean, I know it's a passing league, but $30, $30. million for wide receivers to me are absolutely Asinine. Yeah. But, you know, everybody, when you have the money to spend, you might as well spend it. So Miami gets Terran, uh, Terran Armstead, the number one left tackle on one day. They get Tyree killed the next day. One thing's for sure, Ernie, there are no more excuses for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Yeah. They've improved the line with Armstead and Connor Williams on the left-hand side. They brought in the fastest guy in the, in the NFL. So you have Tyree Kill along with Jalen Waddle. They brought in Cedric Wilson from Dallas. They re-signed franchise Jacecki, and they still have Devontae Parker. Um, there are no more excuses for Tua. It's put up or shut up time for Tonga Vailoa. Yeah, and I don't think he was looking for excuses. I mean, you're talking about a, a Miami Dolphin uh, crew who beat the Patriots twice last year and finished the, the second half of the season. Pretty incredible. I think they only lost one game in, 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 their, in their last eight. So they've been playing very well. I looked up the splits on Tua Tonga Vailoa. The, you know, he only played in 13 games, but his, his last... Over the last half of the season, he had a 95 uh, quarterback rating, which isn't too bad. You know, definitely uh, not somebody who you'd say uh, you know is a is a detriment to your team. That's somebody who can who can uh, you know do well. In fact, I look at the quarterback rating when he played the Patriots twice. It was only 86, so he actually he was playing better ball when they don't play the Patriots. So I think. That uh, you know, I if let's say if they if Miami didn't make these moves, I would still expect them to be 500. Now we're we're talking about they better make the playoffs. If everybody is healthy and there aren't any let's say off issues, we'll, we'll just call it off issues. I expect the Miami Dolphins to be in the playoffs next season. Well, they certainly should be in the playoff hunt, and they're definitely better. They certainly are better. But that AFC is just flat out loaded, so it's hard. 
you know, other than even Kansas City at this point in time, I think they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but that's no lock anymore. I mean, we saw how their offense struggled a little bit last year. People started to catch on. Now you take the biggest threat out. You replace it with Juju, who I think is going to be decent, but they're completely different players. Yeah, different. So it's going to require Patrick Mahomes is going to be required to play like Brady and Rodgers, taking less risks and taking what is available to him and not looking for the home run all the time, which got him in trouble early on in the year last year. Um, they got, you know, Valdez Scanling from Green Bay. They gave him three years and th- $30 million. That's a nothing. I hear they're in the hunt for to try to get DK Metcalf um, who's apparently available, and the Packers and the and the Chiefs are trying to get him. If they were to get him, then he replaces what Tyreek Hill is able to do with his speed. Um, but Kansas City's not a lock. There are no locks to me in the a- AFC other than Buffalo. Yeah. I think Buffalo seems to be a lock. I could see anything happening in the AFC West. I could see anything happening in your NFC uh, AFC North. Um, but I think Buffalo's head and shoulders above everyone else. I think the Patriots drop even more. Yeah. You know, because they're not doing nothing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Miami surely has the assets to make a push right now. So I'm hopeful that they do exactly that. Yeah. For for, for Kansas City, I, I, I they, uh, I, to me, they 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 really dropped the ball on top of this. And I I I see the reasoning because he was on the last year of his contract. And they saw, you know, they saw what Devonte Adams uh, got, uh, you know, from the Las Vegas Raiders, and definitely that's something that they couldn't afford. So they figured, okay, let's trade him now. Let's trade him for assets right now because, you know what, we're not going to pay him next year. We're going to lose him for nothing anyway. No, it was something that they had to do. Yeah. You know, once he came in, and this is this is what happens in the NFL or in anything. Devontae Adams gets five years and one hundred and forty-two million dollars. All of a sudden, Tyreek Hill's agent goes to Kansas City saying, we want more than that. And Kansas City's like, we're already paying Patrick Mahomes almost 50 million. We can't give you 30 million. I thought they did good for themselves. I mean, they were able to get two number ones. Um, they They got a couple number, they got a one and a two and a four this year, and then a one and a six next year or something along those lines. So that's five picks for a wide receiver, which is kind of unheard of. Um, so I think they're sitting pretty good in the draft to be able to replace him. There are a lot. If there's one thing this draft has, is a, a lot, lot of wide, wide receivers that's true. and a tremendous amount of speed. So I'm guessing that they're going to go ahead and take one, as I think Green Bay will take two wide receivers with their two first-round picks. But I, I, that floored me. I mean, I didn't yeah. know that this was going on. All of a sudden, you hear Tyreek Hill's rumors, and then it happens. I'm happy for Tua and Miami because it gives him a fighting chance mm-hmm. with the line improved. You got Mostert and Chase Edmonds in the backfield, and you got all this speed. Um, it's going to cause problems. It's going to cause space because you have to respect Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. It's going to cause all kind of space on the inside. And one thing Tua did well at Alabama is those quick crossing routes where Ruggs and Devontae Smith would take it to the house. Right. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely... I, to me, in fact, I think, I, I think that's what Jalen Waddle was doing all, all of last year. I mean, he had... He had a term, I think he had like a, over 100 catches. Yeah. But a lot of them were dump passes. I think yeah. that's what where Tyreek Hill comes in. And I think now now Jalen Waddle's game come, becomes a little bit more vertical a la Alabama. You know, and that works out well. But let me get back to the Kansas City in regards to what what they're potentially gonna, what they lost, and what they're gonna potentially lose in the Honey Badger 
I mean, you're talking about two impact players on both sides of the yeah, ball. And well, they're going to lose the Honey Badger. Yeah, right? because they've signed the replacement. Offense and defense, and I don't care how this draft looks. You're not going to pick up a replacement for Tyreek Hill this year. In the long run, yes. That's still a crapshoot, yes. Uh, in my opinion, the Kansas City Chiefs are definitely uh, a lesser team than they have been in the last four years. Yeah, uh, in, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I. 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 They're not. To me, they're not in my top five in the AFC anymore. Yeah, I mean, it would be a remarkable accomplishment. I think Patrick Mahomes would have to play MVP esque. MVP esque. You know, Andy Reid is a brilliant coach. I think they're going to be okay. But like I said earlier, I, I can't separate them from the Chargers or the Broncos or the Raiders even, you know, with what they have done. It's any one of those teams could be one, anyone could be four. Um, and it's been a while before we started the season without thinking Kansas City was going to be in the Super Bowl. I know for me, I keep picking them almost every year for the last three years to get to the Super Bowl. Um, but not this year. Yeah. I mean, they have their hands yeah. cut off for them. But that's what happens. I mean, that's what happens when you have big salaries and you pay your quarterback that kind of money. Everybody wants their share. You can't keep everybody. I thought they did well for themselves and the assets that they got for him. But it certainly takes them a notch down uh, in the AFC West and the AFC in general. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on top of that. And it's just a matter of how much of a, how much of a fall they take. I mean, like I said... If Mahomes plays well, if he has his best season, maybe they, maybe they maybe they challenge. But I I'd be surprised if they're even in the AFC Championship. Game. I don't see them being thirteen and three, twelve. I mean, no. thirteen and four, fourteen and three, like they were before. So a yeah. couple of other things in terms of quarterbacks. Matt Ryan goes from the Atlanta Falcons to. Um, the Indianapolis Colts, I think the handwriting was on the wall when they were going after Deshaun Watson that that wasn't going to sit well with Matt Ryan. Even when Watson decided to go to Cleveland, it was just a matter of time before Matt Ryan moves on. Um, for the Colts, you trade Wentz to the, to the commanders for two-thirds, and now you only got to give one-third to Atlanta, and Atlanta pays for a chunk of his salary as well. So the Colts, I think, did well for themselves. I, I they agree. added an asset in I a third-round pick, and they got a more consistent, yes. a more chemistry-driven quarterback in Matt Ryan versus Carson Wentz. So I think the Colts are probably the favorite um, in the AFC South. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I until you beat this year's champ, I, I, I think Tennessee is... is, is it's still in my in my book uh, the the team to beat, but the Colts are definitely there. Uh, the quarterback didn't make uh, makes a hell of a difference in regards to wins and losses, but I I don't think the way that the Colts did it in in to me to me it was Wentz not doing enough, but he didn't really lose those games for the Colts in no. my opinion. Yeah, I, no. I, I agree. I mean, I've talked about this. I think it was more of a COVID-related thing that caused him yeah. to play so badly in the last two games. But there's no denying that he's not necessarily the greatest leader, and he's not good for chemistry. Mm -hmm. So, But Matt Ryan was the MVP four years ago, yeah. but he's been declining since. You yeah. know, So you're getting a 37-year-old quarterback. Does he revive himself in a competitive environment with the best offensive line in all of football, with a running back that just ran for almost 2,000 yards? Does that make him uh, get a second win? The Colts are hoping so. Yeah, I mean he's serviceable enough. I think that with their 
with their defense, you know, and their offensive uh, weapons as as far as running back is concerned, they're they're definitely going to be a contender. We just don't want any letdown. We want him to be healthy, you know, and they're going to push for it. They'll push for it. Yeah. So one quarterback left that has no team now. Baker. Baker Mayfield. <laughs> um, Ernie, where is he going to go? Earlier this week, there was talk that Pittsburgh was interested in him if Cleveland would pay his full salary. Have we gotten to the point now where it's like, we'll take him, but you pay for all of his salary? I don't see a viable place for him. You know, the the Carolina Panthers said, we're not interested in Baker. Baker retorts back, we're not interested in you. I really can't see him going to Seattle. I can't imagine Seattle bringing him in for any kind of an asset right now. It just doesn't make sense to me. He wanted to get traded to the coach. The coach said, we don't want yeah. you. I, I, um, I, I and he that. can't sit there on the same roster with Deshaun Watson. He's, he's not. It's, it's what's going to happen. Is he going to just be released and go to wherever he wants? I mean, what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield? Yeah, it's going to come down. I think the move will be made after the draft. I think, uh, I think teams right now looking for those quarterbacks. I mean, there's only really two viable ones right now. And I don't even think, well, I, I think oh, there's only one viable that's going to start this, this season. Uh, you know, uh, so we'll see what happens to that. Then there's always the fact that, you know, during training camp, there's always injuries. So it might come down to, you know, like a trade that, uh, during that part of the time, I can't see Cleveland holding up that much salary between what they paid Deshaun Watson and having Baker Mayfield on the same roster. That cannot happen. Yeah, you're talking about $70 million in, or close to $70 million in, in quarterback salary for, yeah, it's, not, yeah, it's, it's just not, not going to happen. Gonna, I don't know what the dead money situation is if they just were to release him. Uh, I'm sure they're trying to pedal him off to somebody at this point in yeah. time. But, man, how the mighty have fallen and how he underestimated his um, value. Or yeah. He overestimated his value. And I think what's really starting to show right now, I believe he was hurt all year. But I think his mouth continues to get him in trouble the way he fights back with certain things and how he acts and handles himself. Um, I wouldn't want him. I mean, I can't imagine, like I said, Seattle's rebuilding now. Baker's not going to make them a con- contender. That Baker going to Seattle is not going to make them better than the Rams, better than the Niners, or better than the Cardinals. So it makes no sense to me that they would do that. Other than that, I don't know where he'd go. Yeah. I, I mean, I really don't know where he'd go. If the Saints are going with Jameis and the Panthers are not interested. Uh, I've heard talk late this week that maybe he goes to, uh, to Tampa Bay as a backup to Tom Brady mm-hmm. um, for a year. I mean, maybe. I mean, if they have that kind of salary to, to go ahead and, and eat um, at Tampa Bay. But really doesn't look like Baker's going to be starting anywhere in the NFL this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I, think, he'll, I think he'll start. I think it's going to come down to a situation where the Cleveland Browns are just going to have to, you know, s- swallow what they have to swallow. I think at this point in time, there's not a... There's not a trade that they'd be comfortable with. I think it's going to be a wait-and-see uh, type of deal, and it's going to come down to the last minute. And there's no, and the NFL knows this. All, all other 31 teams know this, and they're going to wait at the last minute. And I, got, I got a feeling that Baker Mayfield uh, will go cheap to you know, the winning team. Cheap. Oh, he's going to be really cheap. I mean, right now, I don't think they can get a six or a seven round draft pick for him. Or they got to eat his, yep. his pay. Yep. Or, or they got to attach something else. It's going to be a combination of that. To, to taking that. Yeah. I mean, so um, 
wow, the number one overall pick just a few years ago, now nobody wants him, and uh, I feel bad for you, Baker. There's only one person in America that really believes in him, and that's Skip Bayless from Undisputed. <laughs> he's still an Oklahoma homer. He still believes in Baker, believes everybody in the NFL is making a mistake, not taking a chance on Baker. He still believes he's going to be a star. So let's transition to my closing thought. I'm going to go back to the NBA. I'm going to talk a little bit about LeBron James. There's been talk, you know, because the Lakers have struggled so much. Yes, LeBron is leading the league at 30 points per game right now in his 19th year, which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. But there's been a lot of talk is, has this season really tarnished uh, LeBron's legacy? And, and I think, no, it no. doesn't. Because as bad as the season is for the team, when you look at what he's doing, this is his stats for this year. 30 points a game, 8.2 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 52% field goal percentage, 36% from three, 76% free throws and a player efficiency rating of almost 27. And he's still averaging 37 minutes a game, fourth in the league. LeBron statistically is having one of his greatest seasons. I think what has happened with him now is he's competitive, but I think he realizes that this team is not going to win. And I think right now he's just made it a point that I want to win the scoring title then. You know, you say I can't score. You say I'm not a scorer. I don't have a scorer's mentality. I'm going to just go out and I'm in my 19th year, I'm going to go win the scoring title. And I think he probably will because there's nothing left to play for. He's 39 points again today. He can jack up as many shots as he wants. Although he's not, he's being really efficient. But I think he still has his MVPs. He still has his four championships. He's won titles in three different cities. Um... He's going to go down as one of the two greatest players of all time. He's going to go down as the greatest scorer of all time. The only person with 30,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 10,000 assists. He's a stat sheet stuffer. Always has been through his entire career. He's done enough where one bad season is not going to tarnish his legacy. Not as it didn't tarnish Michael Jordan when right. he had an when abysmal end with the Washington yeah, Wizards. With the Wizards. You know, that didn't, most people don't even remember that. You know, all you remember is him in the Bulls uniform. You don't remember the Wizard days. And that's what this year has been for LeBron and the Lakers. And if everybody comes back next year healthy and they improve, that would be, you know, he can redeem that next year. Or if we trade him to the Celtics for, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, maybe he can win a title with the Celtics. So I think any talk about this tarnishing LeBron's legacy is just from people who have are either huge Michael Jordan fans or just do not like LeBron James. One bad season for a team does not necessarily tarnish your image when you're having one of the best years of your life in your 19th season in the NBA. I mean, just that alone seems just ridiculous right. to think about. So that's my thought. It's it's a simple, uh, I got to try to find something positive to talk about with the Lakers because I've been checked out on them for <laughs> since the beginning of the year virtually. Um, but it's not LeBron's fault for sure. And it certainly doesn't tarnish the amazing career that LeBron James has had. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, what what... LeBron has done, especially at this in this stage of his career, is nothing but a, but amazing. I, I mean, terrific, terrific, terrific. Now, if you're talking about tarnishing his career as far as being the greatest of all time, I mean, that's going to be up to, to, to the... I mean, he could, he could have been on a Lakers team that actually won the title this year, and I still think there's going to be enough proponents on Michael Jordan's side to say that that's still up I think there's a, the, the I, I think there is nothing that LeBron can do at this point to usurp Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time in most people's eyes. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, just by the fact that uh, you know they're saying that 
oh, it's going to come down to championships, but then Michael Jordan's was more organic than LeBron's per se. But you know, or or, or Jordan never lost in the finals, and LeBron right, is four right, and right. eight in the finals, right. but, or whatever but, it is. But but we're talking about errors, and back then you didn't have free agency the way it is now. It, that, so it, that's very unfair to say, because it comes down to the mighty dollar on top of that. Uh, you know, that's that's an argument uh, for, on LeBron's side, but yeah, I mean that's that's going to be a good debate. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's the greatest of all time? Uh, and hopefully there's going to be a third one that can actually uh, push those two uh, in our lifetime, you know, to be up there that we can have more entertainment. But yeah, it's crazy to say that this tarnishes his career. One season is not a career. And, and it, like you said, terrific uh, individual statistics at least. But uh yeah, not even close. Not, and now we have seven games to see if the Lakers can sneak into the 10th <laughs> spot, into the play-in tournament, um, and then in the first round, shock the world and knock off the Phoenix Suns. Because Anthony Davis said, we were up 2-1 when I got hurt last year. We can take you out this year. So, hey, he's talking like Carl Anthony Towns against right. your Celtics today. So, gang, another exciting week. It's just been a, an amazing March Madness. I'm very happy for Ernie's Tar Heels Woo. that are in the Final Four. He didn't expect them to get there. But here they are against Duke in what I believe will be the most watched college basketball game in the last 15 to 20 years. Um, I believe that's going to be an incredible game next week, Saturday. And then come back Monday, I believe it's going to be Kansas and Duke in the final. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> I, I, that was just for Ernie. But after that, you know, so gang, starting next week, we'll talk a lot about the NCAA finals. We'll talk about some NBA. But now we're getting into that period. Once the calendar turns into April, Ernie, the NFL draft will be right around the corner. And the only thing to look forward to for me this year in terms of the draft is our predictions about how the draft is going to work. Because my Rams aren't picking till <laughs> round three at the end with some compensatory picks. So that's to come in April. April's a fabulous month because you talk NBA playoffs, you have March Madness, and you have the NFL draft. That makes for exciting, wonderful Masters. shows. And the Masters, yeah. which is one of Ernie's favorite times of the year as well. Anything else you want to cover, Ernie? I'm good. Gang, we appreciate you so much. We ask you to continue to support us, share Sports Rivals with your friends and family as we try to increase our, our listenership around the country. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Share any thoughts that you have with us. Let us know what you want us to talk about. And until next week, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.